welcome to the Strengthened by Stories podcast, where we come together as friends to connect and share our life's experiences to ensure we know we're not alone on this journey we call life. Whether these experiences are anticipated or unexpected, we focus on how we can choose to be strengthened amidst the circumstances that come our way. Thanks for joining us as we share relatable stories that can bring awareness and comfort to everyday life. I'm Janica Segrist, and I hope you'll stick around to be strengthened by stories. Hey guys, today we're meeting with Colby Majors. I met him back when Jared and I were up at Utah State attending college. And him and his sweet wife were just always so pleasant to be around and so fun to be with. And I know he has an intriguing story and experience to help us all out. So I'm glad he decided to join us today. So Colby, do you want to tell us a little bit about your family? And then go ahead and jump right into where you want to start with your story. I'm very excited because I think podcasting really is just like booming and it's always been around, but it's been interesting the last couple, gosh, years that I've seen a lot of my friends start podcasts. And so this is exciting to be on my first podcast besides my own. So I'm pretty excited about it. Um, But yes, so Leslie and I, we got married in 2006 and we lived in Logan for about seven years. So about that time, that's when we met you and Jared. We have been home a little over a year and a half now. We've lived in Colorado for three years for graduate school. And we we loved it. It was a good experience. It was hard being away from family. So we knew we wanted to come back home. So we've been home for a little over almost a year and a half. And I currently work with Amazon. So that's pretty exciting. We have a daughter. She's three and a half already. Nice. And she, I call her my little teenager. She really is a teenager. <laughs> it's it's given me a glimpse of the future. So it's kind of scary. That's what three does. <laughs> I know. It's intense. Uh, but we love her so much. She's our, our little miracle baby. Every day is uncharted waters, I like to call it. I don't know what it's going to be like that day, but she's full of life. And, and I have to remind myself that she is a blessing and I have to use that kind of find my ground before, you know, any sort of reaction, I guess, with her and her tantrums or her, her moments of growth that I'm not quite sure how to deal with. Yeah. Moments of growth for sure. Yeah. And it really is. I, to be you know, wide open about stuff. So I actually just finished meeting with uh, a therapist because I was, you know, you think being 33 years old, I would have something figured out with life, but um, I don't. <laughs> I, w- I don't either. <laughs> I pretend sometimes. <laughs> so I finished meeting with a therapist to figure out how to cope with life and how to cope with change and growth and Leslie and I we currently live with her parents right now and it's been a difficult year and a half trying to be the provider for my family and at the same time I don't feel like I have been doing that and 
there have been a serious roller coaster of emotions of how to be grateful for that, be grateful that we have a home and we have somewhere that we're living to call our home and to lay our heads down and to have protection and a warm home to live in. The other side of that, trying to manage not being prideful and ungrateful. At times this past year have been kind of dark moments that I've gone through, um, bouts of suicidal ideation. And I think especially around a time of, you know, like a holiday season. Um, Last year, towards the end of the year, I actually not necessarily had a plan, a, a suicide plan, but I just hit a dark time in my life. And it's difficult for people to kind of grasp. And I know Leslie, I had a conversation with her about a week or so after that, where I was completely open about it, about uh, thoughts of of taking my life. And um, I know it's super kind of dark (laughs) and kind of a heavy topic, but society still struggles with being open about suicide and mental illness or mental health awareness. And yet we still find ourselves, society still struggles with being honest about it and being open about it. Yeah. So I really wanted to focus on today about talking about um, that, my experience with suicide. I actually lost three men in my life to suicide. Um, My stepdad, about 20 years ago, he ended his life. He overdosed on drugs. My dad, it's been 10 years this year, actually, in July, so just past July, it's been 10 years since he passed, since he took his life. And he suffered from bipolar depression. And then we're coming up um, in a few days. Actually, my granddad, about seven years ago, took his life. He, he was a very private individual and not very open about stuff. And it was completely unexpected. I mean, suicide in general is unexpected. It's nothing that just... Can't even imagine. You know, until it happens. But we think he was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And the idea of aging to him was scary. I mean, he was 72, I want to say. The idea of aging was, it was a scary thing. Yeah. Um, So he didn't want to be like his mom who was in a nursing home uh, suffering from Alzheimer's. So anyways, I want to be able to use my podcast and where I just am completely vulnerable and completely open because I believe I have a firm belief in the more someone shares their story or a group of people or get on board of being more open about things. I believe and I feel wholeheartedly that a voice can change people or, you know, I believe in strength in numbers. Yeah. I believe in getting more people to share stories and be open more about their lives can really have an effect on people. And I, I mean, that's my hope with my podcast. So to go back a little bit, uh, I received a master's degree in Colorado in counseling and human services uh, specifically with school counseling. 
but one of the main focuses, the main domains that we, we really honed in on was social emotional. So we focus on academics, we focus on career uh, aspects of education, but we also focus on social emotional needs of a student. Because I feel that if their social emotional well-being is not where it should be or where it needs to be, academically, like everything's going to be affected. Academics, no desire to go on to higher education or no desire to enter the workforce. So it really starts with the social emotional aspect of a person's life, where they are at mentally, emotionally. So it's really something that I'm passionate about is, is I know for myself, I struggle with, you know, depression, anxiety, panic disorders. And when I'm in a place like that, I don't want to do anything else. Like my work is affected. I have a poor attitude towards things at work. If I were at, you know, a previous job that I had, I had several panic attacks and that really affected my job performance. Um, I was irritable. I was, I kind of lashed out with coworkers and stuff. And so I knew then that I really needed to do something about it. In the past few times that I've met with a counselor or therapist, I recognized it and I went to my religious leader and said, hey, I need to do something about this. Um, this is what I'm experiencing. Like, can you help me? Because financially I couldn't afford it. So I went to my bishop and I said, this is what I'm experiencing. I need to go see a counselor. And I did. And each time I've gone, I learned something new about myself. Or I relearn my coping skills, my coping mechanisms to work through my depression, anxiety. So yeah, it's heavy stuff, but it's something that needs to be processed. I think it's good that you recognize it. Because I think that's one of the hardest steps, don't you think? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, no, I agree. Um, my therapist this last time, we talked about, especially with men mm -hmm. in society, um, men should be tough and rugged and men should have the persona of like nothing to bother. Like I'm fine kind of attitude. I don't need to see a therapist. I don't need to. I don't need to talk about my feelings I'll just bottle them up and go shoot something or punch something. I am not that kind of man. <laughs> I am uh, emotionally driven. And so when I do bottle up something, it really causes more anxiety or it causes that irritability to the point where I don't want to talk to people, um, especially my wife. And so when I recognize that and that dark moments that I was going through, I knew right away what I had to do. And I'm not always looking for praise, but it's more of a validation from like a therapist or friends saying, you know, like I applaud you or that's, that's wonderful that you recognize those things because most men don't and, yeah. um, or don't want to admit to stuff like that. And so it's not hard for me to, to take that praise or that validation, but sometimes it's like, well, thanks. Um, yeah. I did what I had to do or what I needed to do. 
because I hated watching how it was affecting like other aspects of my life, of family and friends and um, coworkers. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, on Sunday we had like a whole two hour presentation about suicide prevention and for all the adults and they are going to also do it for the youth. So at first I was like, this is going to be like a long two hours to talk about something so heavy, but they did such a good job to touch on so many points and the two hours was used up wonderfully. Was this at at church? Yes. Oh, wow. I think the one thing that I always wonder, and you kind of have to prepare because we're in a, the life we're living right now, it's becoming a lot more normal. I think you hear about suicide, even though it is still very closed mm-hmm. and it's not easy to talk about, but I want to prepare myself, you know, and know the things that I could do to watch for, how to be a help, like to someone in my family or friends. Like what advice would you have mm-hmm. for anyone out there that just wants to keep a watchful eye or what to say or do do you know what i mean yes i think for loved ones so kind of going back a while uh, my wife and i we've been married for 12 years and the first few years of our marriage were super rocky where we were fighting and we just have these huge arguments and it's like i hate admitting that looking back and I had no idea, like, I wasn't, like, blaming her necessarily, you know, it was all situational, but I I couldn't find the source of what was going on, like, why we were constantly fighting about finances or littlest things, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until, I want to say, I think we were coming up on our third year anniversary, and we were renting a little house in Logan, Utah. And we just had this huge blowout and never in my life now I would have said these words, but we were arguing and I said, I want a divorce. And I was just furious and just fuming. And right now I can, I feel those feelings. I can just feel that what, what that's like thinking back to that moment. And I I locked her out of the house and I stormed in the room and just slammed the door and locked myself in the bathroom. And she confided in a couple people at work about it that then I was like, don't be telling our business. Like, don't go tell people what's going on. But if she didn't, they suggested to go to our bishop and talk about, you know, let him know what's going on. But if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't have recognized my depression. Like, I wouldn't have been able to have, because we went to marriage counseling. Our bishop had us go to counseling. And it was there when it was fully manifested, the depression. And we went there for us, but also it really just like drudged up a lot of stuff from my childhood. My childhood was not an easy childhood. I didn't have, like I had my mom and my first stepdad. That was the one who overdosed on drugs. And we lived in a home where alcohol was involved, abuse, um, physical abuse, emotional and mental abuse. So a lot of what happened in our counseling sessions came back from my childhood. And I didn't know that. Like, I didn't know until it, it was brought out. And 
it was from then when I've had several visits, if you will, to a therapist. I mean, now we still have our moments, but my wife, she's recognizes it more. So to answer your question is, if an individual is out there who's experiencing uh, suicidal ideations or, you know, the thoughts of suicide plans, you're like, people are going to have those times where they don't want to talk to people, but remind yourself that you have people who care about you and who love you and who would do anything for you. And I finally had to tell Leslie, my wife, that these are some of the things that are going to trigger me. Or if I told her a couple of times, like, here's my code word. Like if I need my, like me time by myself, like, this is what I'm going to say. And I, I told her, she's like, well, what do you want to say? And I said, I love you. And that's for her to know I need to remove myself from the situation before I sound condescending or before I lash out to somebody or, I mean, I'm still learning. It's under construction. <laughs> it's not a perfect situation, but mm-hmm. for people out there who are experiencing these things and you feel like you don't want to talk to anybody, come up with a code word. Um, so they know that you're safe, but also letting them know that giving you 20 minutes just to calm down before talking to anybody. Because it wasn't until a week after I sat my wife down telling her that I almost ended my life. What kept me from not actually following through with that was losing three men, losing those people who in a way molded my life. I don't want that at all for my family to experience. I don't want them to have to go through that pain and suffering like our family went through three different times. People often look at suicide like it's an easy way out or somebody's being selfish. Myself, in no way do I believe that or feel that. I don't think it's a selfish act. I know that my stepdad, my dad, and my granddad were all suffering and didn't talk to anybody about it. And it's not an easy thing to come up with like, hey, I'm going to do this. But really being honest, being honest and open is is my advice. Just don't be ashamed. Don't hide your face. Find your voice. And if you don't have a voice, find someone who will help you find your voice. Because it's, I mean, I was going to actually look up some statistics, but I didn't have a time to. They're They're pretty high. With youth especially, with teenager, early adult range is, is pretty high rate. And so it's intense. But I think just having open conversations with people is what needs to happen and take place. I think for me, the one thing I took from it is they just need someone willing to listen. So if there's a time that they're willing to open up, you need to take the time to listen. And I think a lot of people have a hard time listening to things like this and Mm -hmm. understanding and not trying to fix things because I think they really probably need a listening ear and someone just to understand instead of trying to fix it or say, I'm sure you don't feel that way because you don't really know what they're going through or what just happened. Right. That's the important key for 
like loved ones and family members is just when there's a window where they're gonna like be open about something like don't shut it barge in (laughs) yeah just shush because this is it's a difficult thing to be open about anything especially with youth um whether they're experiencing I don't know, drugs or alcohol or same-sex attraction or suicide or depression, like whatever heavy topic it is. Like if you have a child who is experiencing something or even a spouse or a sibling or a parent and they want to come to you about something, just sit with them and give them a safe place. I mean, it's common sense, but it was drilled into us in my master's program is to give whoever you're with like in this state, like a client or like a, a, a student, but even with family or friends, let them know that they're safe. Let them know that they're not going to be judged. Know that they can be completely open and honest about what they're experiencing because that's what matters is that mm-hmm. they're, they're vulnerable, but they don't know how to be open about it. So if you know it's going to happen or you can feel it or you, I'm a very feeling kind of person. I have this ability to like feel others' emotions and I can like, I get anxious about it and I know when someone's going to say something and it's like, all right, Colby, now is your time to zip the lips <laughs> and let them just be completely open about it. And that's, that's the first step uh, for anybody on either side of the situation is just open and honest conversations. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we end? Kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier, but especially around this time of year, a lot of people enjoy winter and the snow, but a lot of people who experience anxiety or any sort of panic disorder, it's, it's kind of a, drab season of the year i mean it's cold and gray and not a lot of sun and so i would like to say now and and it's important for all year round but be more aware and cautious around i wouldn't say like cautious like skirting around something but just what you say and how people react to others and be alert there are people who are suffering with anything really, but mostly just be kind and stay kind and express love and validate and make sure people are heard. Thank you, Colby. I agree. If there is one common phrase that I hear on each of my podcasts, it's to be kind. I know I have a lot of things on my own to work out, but I hope we don't shy away from these conversations. I hope we can be open and talk about them. The more conversations we have on subjects like this, I believe it will be a little bit easier to process what we all go through. If you have more questions or comments, feel free to leave them down below so we can all learn from each other. And if you're interested in hearing more from Colby and his experiences, and what he goes through, go ahead and check out his podcast called My Semicolon Life. He informed me that the symbol semicolon in his title came from the Semicolon Project for Suicide Awareness. <laughs>
A semicolon, unlike a period that stops, means a pause. We all have moments in life where we pause to catch our breath as we learn and grow. If you or anyone suffers from depression or suicidal thoughts, there are so many resources out there, including financial help, like he mentioned earlier, hotlines to call, therapists to visit with, and so much more. Hope is not lost, you matter, and you are loved. All of us here can make a difference as we open up and take the time to listen and communicate. Thanks for joining us and listening. See you next time.